ADP has your back with ADP Marketplace, a digital HR storefront. Be a more trusted advisor to your clients by recommending apps to help streamline HR processes and free up time to focus on people. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, ADP Marketplace, later in the episode. Uh, and, and really in this grand survey from ADP, only 20% of firms had 4% or higher. But the top 100 accounting firms, one in six of them are averaging more than 20% turnover. And the average turnover is 16% in those firms. So we have average partner compensation at top 100 firms, equity partner, I should say, 682000 So the bosses are making $682,000 and the staff are turning over at 16%. And you said that in the U.S., a typical company is 3.2%. So that's terrible turnover compared to a typical business. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClockShark. ClockShark is the leading GPS time tracking and scheduling system built for local construction and field service companies that want a simpler way to track time, run payroll, and understand job costs. With the capabilities of crew tracking, scheduling, job site geofencing, teams and project segmentation, automatic labor allocation, budgeting, and reporting, ClockShark has built a robust mobile time tracking system to handle the unique challenges that face your clients. With ClockShark, your clients can keep accurate records like overtime, paid time off, unpaid time, hours per job, and task, as well as the crucial data needed for certified payroll. With the integrations ClockShark has, you'll be able to connect to one of many ADP payroll platforms through ADP Marketplace and process payroll in minutes with a click of a button. ClockShark's pricing starts at just $6 a month per employee. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash ClockShark. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-A-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. I recently had two Zoom calls with accountants that use BQE Core for their professional service clients like architects, engineers, consultants, and lawyers. One accountant called it the missing link for professional services. Another said that BQE Core is the only game in town for job profitability in the cloud. My biggest takeaway from the conversations was how you can 100% use BQE Core as your standalone accounting system or pair it up with either QuickBooks Online or Xero. Either way, you get to take advantage of all the advanced features of BQE Core like adjustment invoicing, budgets, labor costs, forecasting, contract analysis, and approval processes. Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners will receive three months of BQE Core for free with an annual subscription package purchased on or before September 30th, 2020. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So it's uh, Labor Day weekend. We're knocking out a recording early. This is Friday evening, and probably when we're done recording, the feds will release some news about PPP loans. Do you, do you have any plans this weekend, David? Kind of just to chill out. I think we're going to go to a do a staycation at a hotel for one night just to relax. Um, we had a pretty major, we soft released, released our uh, Melio accountants features this week. Oh, cool. So, but I've been all the work I've been on doing like six months, last six months at Melio is finally getting out the door. Um, we're tiptoeing out into those waters. It's a little, you know, it's scary to release a new new offering, right? Yeah. It's, a lot, it's been a lot of work, but it's getting out the door finally. So when do I get my zero integration is my question. Um, it's in the stack. It's in the stack of a zillion things I need to do for sure. It's it's getting out there. Accountants features for Melio. It's nice. You're doing a staycation. I am also staying at home. I imagine pretty much everybody is staying at home or a lot of folks are. And what are they going to be doing at home? Probably spending some time on Facebook going at each other on the political spectrum. I don't know about you, David, but my Facebook feed lately has become very partisan. I have noticed this on both sides. Uh, I, I log in and I just see a lot of angst. And I was driving to pick up my son from school just before we're recording this. Oh, wait, wait. He's about to real school now? He goes to a community center where he is in a pod that learns online with the help of a few tutors. Okay. So so it's it's tiptoeing in the waters. Right? Yeah, it's like a hybridish kind of approach. Okay. And it's working because nobody there hasn't been an outbreak. Um so there is a way to social distance and make this happen. It's just it's expensive. But anyway, so I'm I'm driving to pick him up and I'm listening to Marketplace Tech with uh, Molly Wood, I think. And there was a story there about how Facebook has their own internal Facebook. Did you know this? 
I feel like I've heard about this before, or I know of its existence, yes. So, you know, it, it makes sense. If you are Facebook, you would want your employees using Facebook. So what they did is they created an internal version called Workplace. They then sell it now to businesses. So actually, you know, you could go buy Workplace by Facebook and use it as an internal Facebook for your firm. If you wanted to do that and a lot of firms. I've heard it's actually decent. I, I've heard it's surprisingly uh, a good communication tool to use in, in-house. I've, I've heard it's decent. Yes. It's, it's uh, if you think about it, it's familiar to everybody because everybody pretty much has used Facebook. So if you know how to use that, you can instantly use this. So Facebook has their own internal workplace and it has 50,000 people because Facebook is big and it's a like a little city. And people don't just talk about work, they talk about all sorts of things. And apparently, according to this report on Marketplace Tech, it's gotten really uh, partisan on there. There are people posting political stuff left and right. This Workplace app uses the same Facebook platform that we all do on their social media site. So the algorithm has been apparently pushing very controversial topics to the top of everyone's newsfeed. And it has become really bad on that Facebook with a lot of like anger and vitriol and uh, just the same stuff that we're seeing. Okay. So the algorithms, because they get lots of clicks, they're going to push that stuff up to the top of your feed because it gets a lot of engagement. Yes. And so that same algorithm is being applied to the internal workplace Facebook groups as well. Right. And coincidentally, because Facebook uses it, they're basically eating their own dog food in the way they probably <laughs> never intended to or wanted to. So it's it's uh, an algorithm that prioritizes posts with high engagement. So the idea is that if something is getting a lot of comments, a lot of likes, a lot of engagement from users, then other users will want to see it. The negative side effect of this, the unanticipated consequence is that a lot of like stuff that upsets people is what gets them to engage. And this is what we have all been seeing on social media is that really upsetting things get a lot of engagement and thus get into our news feeds. And so that's why you see such a like a partisan environment in a very small percentage of people interacting over these posts with a lot of comments, really extreme liberals, really extreme conservatives can mess with the algorithm in that way. I mean, they're not messing with it. That's how it's designed to work, right? Well, the mainstream media is that way. It's it's very extreme on both sides. And and ultimately, the uh, the politics is like that. And and the, the impeachment is a great example, right? They, they got people so divided, but both sides got tons of donations, because of the impeachment, they both won. Like, right, right, exactly. So, like, the, it's technology is prioritizing or or promoting or making it like good to be controversial. So, to get back to this story about Facebook, why I'm telling you this is that apparently, recently, Mark Zuckerberg had to step in and say, "We're not going to have these conversations on Facebook Workplace anymore." And the irony of that, David, is just astounding. I mean, I almost. Like couldn't drive. I was just floored that Facebook's algorithm is so broken that Mark Zuckerberg had to step in and say that we are going to override it and not have these political discussions on Facebook anymore, on their internal Facebook. But of course, he's not going to do that on the real Facebook. Yeah. Can we can't opt into that and in the real Facebook? I know. Is, maybe it's a paid tier, a premium offering. Yeah. 12 bucks, you pay a dollar a month for Facebook and you get like well, better way, feed. Remember how it used to be where it was just chronological? Yeah. The news feed was just like whatever everyone posted and it was in order and you just go through it. And it wasn't like surfacing, you know, stuff based on engagement. I mean, that should be an option. I wish that was an option. I would, I would switch to that. So anyway, I thought that was really funny. Um, yeah, and, and one takeaway, by the way, from all this, if, you, if you're a CPA or an accountant or bookkeeper trying to get people to see you online from a marketing standpoint, this is why uh, if you want to get noticed on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, it's actually really good to somehow figure out how to be controversial because that's what gets surfaced. So you want to be controversial enough with something where people start commenting a lot, but not obviously not so controversial that it harms your business. So just be thinking about that if you're thinking about marketing. You know, that's that's the, unfortunately the way all these algorithms are designed. Uh, you're you're not going to get a lot of views if what you post is making people feel good. You know, they just feel good and then they don't click. So we should be titling our episode titles like very controversially to well, really get attention. And-, and that's what we did. We did that deliberately with our last episode with the p- payroll tax deferral. We put Trump in there just because we know that it makes people 
it it either makes people happy or sad. I mean, it's kind of one way or the other at this point, right? <laughs> we can make a big post that just says desktop software sucks, or we could make a post uh, about the billable hour sucks, and we get all these people fired up and responding. I see. I see how the system works. We might be able to game this a little bit. Yeah, and so you know, that's unfortunately that's the way it works in in the world of digital marketing these days. Um, so I wanted to bring that up. I also have lots of stories this week. Amazingly, it was a very busy week for me anyway. Uh, we have the new CPA domain that was released. Carbon has a feature out, time and budgets, and a spreadsheet story as well. A spreadsheet error that led to a hospital opening delay, believe it or not. Spreadsheet stories are my favorite, though, that we get. I love our spreadsheet stories. Uh, I have some instant payment stories. The Wall Street Journal had a feature on how auditors are struggling to access data and do their jobs during remote work. I thought that was interesting. Auditors don't get a ton of love from the press. There's a canton in Switzerland that is now accepting taxes in Bitcoin. That's pretty cool. So the question is, where do we start? Maybe we should start with the voicemails we got. We got two listener voicemails, both about accounting education, one of our recent topics. And what should we be doing as an accounting profession to train people so that they're actually useful when they come out with their accounting degree and make CPA firms want to hire them? Because as we have discussed in the past, the hiring of CPAs, well, it's actually not CPAs, it's the hiring of accounting degrees into CPA firms has declined by 30%. Well, this is appropriate because one of our reviews we got was written by a student. So it's very, awesome. very appropriate. These uh, voicemails are tied to a student listener. So let's listen to those voicemails and then we'll hear that review. Hi, my name is Kayla Schleter. I am calling from Grand Forks, North Dakota. And first of all, I love your podcast. It is up-to-date, straightforward information that is really enjoyable to listen to. I just wanted to call in about how I agree with what you said about the grunt work is what makes you good at what you do 10 to 20 years in the future. I was fortunate enough that in my small town high school in North Dakota, we had three years of accounting. The first two years, we learned the basics of accounting. Then in year three, we use QuickBooks Desktop to enter transactions for a fake business and then reviewed the financials to have an understanding of what that means. That experience and understanding is what got me a job at a small business doing data entry while pursuing my accounting degree. That eventually led me to doing what I do now, which is software consulting and providing advisory services at a regional accounting firm. I think the best first step for educating future accountants is integrating cloud-based accounting software with actual workflow into the curriculum. Maybe Intuit can set up, if they haven't already, a special pricing structure for educational institutions to have access to the product to help the future generation enter the workforce well-prepared. Finally, I also agree with the point that you mentioned at the end of the podcast about potentially shifting away from so much time in the classroom and extending internship experiences. Again, thank you so much for the podcast. It's super helpful and stay safe and healthy, guys. Great voicemail. My mind almost exploded when I heard three years of high school accounting. That's amazing. Yeah, that's probably the exception, right? Like, where are people getting three years of accounting in high school? That's awesome. Um, you know, obviously, the work experience thing is great. I mean, really great insights. All right, you up for number two? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Blake and David. Tasha Chambers from Wisconsin here, a longtime listener, first-time caller. Uh, calling regarding your comments on the changes that should be made to the accounting education, Blake, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that we should return to an apprenticeship model for accountants. I would love to see maybe two years in the classroom where they learn the basic sort of debit equal credits, but so many of them are coming out and they have just no practical application for the, the knowledge they have and they, and they can't make the leap. And I think that it would be a great service for kids. It would be a great service for students. It would be a great service for the uh, um, the firms as well to to kind of bring people up and, and teach them their way. So great show. Have a great day. Well, thank you, Tasha. Yeah, I still firmly believe you can't re uh, replace that, that in the weeds hard work. You just can't. No, work experience is so important when it comes to accounting. Like you said, David, start a starting a business is the best way to learn about running a business. And a lot of that is accounting. 
We also got from a student. We got a review. Oh, let's hear that. This is from JRG828. The review is five star on Podchaser. Funny, entertaining, and informative. What more could you ask for? I listen to the Cloud Accounting Podcast to discover new technology, statistics, industry news, and trends, as well as best practices as a professional. Great for students, too. Thank you so much. The, th- the theme here is about students. So let's just say, Blake, now I've busted my ass. I got my experience. I'm now, I take the test. I'm a CPA. Can I now go get a CPA domain? Well, no, actually not oh. yet. Almost. So CPA.com is making available .cpa, the top level domain that they wrangled from the lords of the internet. I forget who. The (laughs) ICANN. The ICANN, yes. So uh, the AICPA is the official registrar for the .cpa domain. And you can now, if you are a CPA firm, apply through October 31st to get the same URL you have currently with .cpa at the end of it. So for instance, if you have blakeoliver.com, you could apply for blakeoliver.cpa if you are a CPA firm. I actually can't yet do that because I am an independent CPA. I have to wait until January 15th when .cpa registrations will be opened up to individual licensed CPAs. Doesn't that mean all the good ones will be gone by then? You're going to get like blakeoliver2552.cpa. You're not going to get any good domains. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, I'm curious to see how many people actually sign up for this because it is not cheap. I guess for a firm it is. It's only $225 per year for each domain. And if you're a CPA firm, that's really no big deal. They do have premium domains at a higher price. So if you want a domain with only two or three letters, That'll be $690 per year. And I imagine that it'll be mostly firms that grab those. Here's one thing that I only saw in one publication. Going Concern said that one of the conditions of getting this .cpa domain is that you have to redirect your current domain to the new one. So if you have that sweet .com domain, you are going to have to commit to use .cpa as your main domain. You can't just like get that and redirect. Now, does that include like all your email addresses and everything else as well? Like you have to utilize this as your entire stack? Well, so according to Going Concern, what they said in there, it seems to me that's the way they want it to work. And I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? If if the CPA.com is going to create this whole domain and try to get it to become the domain for CPA firms that every CPA firm and every CPA uses, but definitely the CPA firms, then you know, they need to make people use it, right? They don't want, just want people buying it and redirecting it. That's just me thinking out loud. And you have to be a CPA firm. What if you're a bookkeeping firm or an accounting firm? Like you? Well, you have to be uh, registered as a CPA firm, I believe is what that means. So that's different in every state. Uh, but if you are not, you know, registered as a CPA firm, then I don't think you would be able to apply for this. And now what if you're a CPA firm, but you're not a member of the AICPA? Are they going to allow you to buy it? I don't know about that. I am not sure. I didn't I didn't see that. Um, it is limited to licensed CPAs and CPA firms. That's what I know. I saw a lot of pushback on the, the, the interwebs a little bit on the Twitter that people were a little shocked by the price because, I mean, you can like, what's a domain? 12 bucks a month? Yeah. Right. For, for a typical.com domain. And people are shocked about the price. And then also think there's a lot of people that don't renew their AICPA membership. They don't think it's worth the money. And so like they could utilize this as a as a carrot to get people to renew. Hey, if you renew your application, you know, you get your your domain. Yeah. I would love to see CPA.com make this free for individual CPAs as or, or not free, but included with your membership because you're already paying a few hundred dollars a year. Uh, you know, why not give everyone their own dot CPA domain as, as part of that? But I, I guess it's gonna be on top of that. But it would be a great way to c- convince it independent CPAs to actually maintain their membership. Because I know a lot of people, once they leave big firms, where the big firms pay for the membership, then they kind of let theirs lapse because they don't see the value as much anymore. I tried to register cloudaccountingpodcast.cpa and it wouldn't let me get through there. And then <laughs> I would like, actually for me personally, I'd like to get I'm not a dot .cpa. Well, unfortunately, David, if you and I tried to make the Cloud Accounting Podcast into a CPA firm, I'm not sure if we could in most states because it's a 50-50 business. And to be a CPA firm, you got to have at least 51% CPAs in many states. It varies, right? 
something I saw interesting in a related profession. In the legal profession, this is not common to have non-lawyer owners of lawyer firms is is actually historically you can't do it. Well, our state, Arizona, is now the first state to okay non-lawyer ownership of law firms. And this was a big hula blue on Twitter, right? Well, I think it's a it's a, a lot of it's an ethical thing. They think that as soon as uh, a lawyer is motivated by profit, he or she is going to not have any judgment and not represent clients properly. But like, I don't understand how having non-lawyers in your firm or having non-CPAs in your firm makes you less ethical. My experience with a lot of lawyers is they are horrible at running their law firm. They're always changing partners like because they're just not good business people. They're good at practicing law, but they suck at running their business. And so if you open the door to let them partner with somebody that knows how to run a business, they could actually do better at their law yeah. job, right? But but I do feel like it's an ethical argument, which kind of almost leads me to be like, then why are you charging by the hour? <laughs> like, like, what, like, like the fact that that's mandated, that they must bill by the hour. They can't even value bill in many cases. So it's it's just really being shaken up. And this is just another you know inch down the road. And good for Arizona being one of the first states to do that. And also Arizona, if you remember, uh, about a year ago, they're one of the first states to let people, hey, if you move here, you can um, you don't have to retake your test for your license for lots of different industries. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that the is that the case for CPAs? I don't know. I I think so. Yeah. Oh, and, so I uh, could get my license here in Arizona now. Oh. Yeah. And the same thing I heard, uh, there's a podcast about stupid things that are going to should go away now that we've had COVID, Mm. right? You know, like, Hey, maybe it's okay for people to drink on the sidewalk. Maybe that's all right. We could, we could have beers outside during our dinner. Maybe that's okay. Right. But one of the things is, uh, nursing nurses nationwide take the exact same exam, but your license in each state and all these states would not let licenses move. But now because of COVID, they had to suspend all these mm. laws. So that way some nurses who are registered in New, New Jersey could go help out in New York City, right? So they suspended all these laws and hopefully laws like that will go away because it doesn't make any sense. If you're a nurse and you get you take a national test, you should be able to work in all 50 states. There's one more consequence of this ruling here uh, in Arizona about law firms. The big four now, if more states follow suit, have an opportunity to start competing in the legal services world. So we've got big law and we've got big four accounting and consulting, and we might start seeing a lot of overlap. So big law firms creating consulting divisions and going after that kind of work. And then big four accounting firms going after legal work by, by starting to hire lawyers and provide those services. I mean, this in theory should be better for the consumers long-term. Now, I imagine that our listeners may have some thoughts on this and some strong opinions, and we would love to hear those, your opinions about the CPA uh, domain, the presence of non-CPAs owning CPA firms, or really anything you want. You can also leave us a voicemail, just like Kayla and Tasha. Give us a call at 202-695-1040. That is 202-695-1040. It's a Google voice number. It goes straight to voicemail. You get three minutes to tell us what you think, and we'll, we will definitely listen to it, and we maybe will even play it on the air. That's it for the CPA stuff. Uh, what's next? Should we talk about app news? Yeah, let's jump over to apps. A big one from Carbon, the practice management solution, has released time and budgets. Quote, time and budgets is designed to allow carbon customers to set time and dollar estimates, track time, compare budgets against actuals, manage capacity, analyze progress and performance, allocate resources, and more, unquote. So it's now in beta and is rolling out to all carbon customers in the coming weeks. I always thought carbon was about like managing your communications. And it feels like now it's heading towards full-blown firm management. I think this is kind of a... interesting new feature because I do recall Carbon at its inception arguing strongly against time-based billing and having this attitude that you don't need to you know, track time and manage your firm that way. Uh, oh, but, like if we went and Googled some of their old well, webinars and things. I do recall that being part of the, the mentality. And which is, you know, uh, the mentality of a lot of cloud accounting firms that have moved to value-based pricing and don't track time anymore. But clearly, there are lots and lots and lots of firms. I mean, the vast majority still track time. So I think maybe this move is just an acknowledgement that this is something that firms want, and you cannot grow to take on most of the market unless you're going to offer it. And, And I will admit too, there is value potentially in tracking time. 
it's not good or bad. It is not one or the other. There are a a whole spectrum of ways to track time and bill using time in a firm and use it in combination with value-based pricing. And, you know, maybe you use it to track performance. Maybe you don't, maybe use it on some projects, maybe you don't. So to go completely cold Turkey is really challenging. I think everybody will agree with that. And so having a way for firms to be able to track time while they move on to a new practice management platform makes a lot of sense to me. Well, in a way, right, if Carbon really saves so much time in improving the communications, now that it's being tracked, they'll be able to prove the value for the product and charge more. Exactly. There you go. Zero released their September 2020 updates. I'm a fan of Zero, but I have to say I am, again, somewhat disappointed in the pace of feature releases recently. The only thing in this list that stuck out to me that was even worth talking about is they have a redesigned date selector that... Uh, finally make sure that dates are formatted correctly for U.S. customers. So now it's month, day, year instead of day, month, year, which is the rest of the world. So zero rolled out 10 years, 11 years ago in the U.S. market, and now the dates are working correctly? So they gradually started fixing it, and I don't think it was ever completely fixed across the whole product all at once because, you know, it's different code bases for different parts of the product. Yeah, so, it, yeah. yeah. You know, and you would run into issues sometimes where you know, you'd, you'd type it in the US format into a field and then it wouldn't stick and you'd have to go back and change it. And it was really annoying. Roger Rury, the former Zero CEO, founder of Zero, he actually uh, did a sale. It's a planned block sale, but he sold two, over $200 million of Zero stock. Another uh, former executive also sold, but somebody that's on the board actually bought um, 400,000 shares. So there's, you know, there's, a lot of movement happening, but mm-hmm. the fact that people that are currently on the board, you know, that are at a different phase of their life are buying zero shares is probably a good indication. You know, this is just people have to do that, right? Executives have to rebalance their portfolio eventually. You just can't have all your eggs in one one stock, well, especially yeah. if you're not active in the company anymore as much as well. Is. And, and I might, you know, give zero a hard time uh, on on features because I'm a user, but uh, you know, like I'm bullish on the company globally and their prospects over the long haul for sure. Yeah. So is that this that was the story of news is that Rob Jury yeah, is cashing out and yeah. and now super right. super rich. That is <laughs> yeah, awesome. Exactly. Yeah, I mean it's great, you know, like that somebody could make I mean I don't even know how much he's worth at this point, but you know, 200 million dollars just right there from cloud accounting software is pretty cool. Accounting software. It's just it's just awesome. Anyway, This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ADP Marketplace. How can you be a more trusted advisor for your clients as they face new challenges? By recommending solutions from ADP Marketplace, ADP's digital HR storefront. With ADP Marketplace, clients can try, buy, and implement highly rated HR apps that can share data with ADP. With secure data integrations, it's easy to streamline HR processes and adapt to new business needs. Help your clients discover new ways to recruit and onboard employees, boost performance, offer unique financial wellness benefits, and much more. And with integrations for popular business software like Expensify, PayActive, Slack, and ClockShark, clients can add value to the tools they already use by simply and securely connecting them to ADP. Have clients in field service or construction? ClockShark can help them track time to quickly and accurately run payroll, all integrated with ADP. Visit ADP Marketplace at apps.adp.com or right from your Accountant Connect dashboard. Not set up with Accountant Connect? Sign up today. It's free. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash ADP. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash ADP. ADP has your back with ADP Marketplace. Zoom, the people invested in Zoom are very happy because Zoom stock bumped up ridiculously after their revenue numbers came out. Their revenue rose 355% to 663.5 million in the last quarter, crushing analysts' estimates of 500.5 million. And to put this in perspective, the company made as much money in the past three months as it did in the entirety of 2019. Wow. Yeah. One key metric, the number of Zoom customers with at least 10 employees exploded to 370,000, which is up 458% year over year. That is startup level growth, not growth company level growth. Just amazing. So, you know, their stock jumped 22.7%. I'm not sure where it stands right now after the recent uh, fall in the markets, but it's still way up from where it was. And I wish I'd bought some Zoom stock when all this started. It'll be interesting to see how this sustains, like long-term. 
because obviously Teams is coming in heavy. Google has moved their their video conferencing up higher. Like when you book a meeting now, Google really pushes you to use their video conferencing, right? Facebook's coming down the pipe with their, uh, they're basically going to move um, Facebook portal to be a little bit more um, meeting based for work. Like as this, as there's other competitors now getting into this and taking it way more serious because of the pandemic, it's obviously they can't maintain this growth. Eventually people are going to be zoomed out, right? There's no more people you could possibly add. There's a finite amount of people that need to use zoom. Well, I mean, they've expanded the market to kindergartners. So how far can they go? Right. <laughs> yeah, there's not many. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. You mentioned Google. I don't think Google has a shot here it, because Google built browser-based video conferencing and they just can't figure out how to make it not suck up every single bit of power in your computer because not only is it Chrome and Chrome is resource intensive, but then you've got video conferencing going through Chrome. It's a disaster. Every time I boot up a Hangout, I'm sad because I can't do anything else. Whereas Zoom just runs with no problems these days. They also, did you see that they also disclosed that their chief accounting officer is uh, leaving the company? No, I did not. Hopefully, so we're not going to hear about some shenanigans <laughs> after so, this. So he's resigning as of October 16th, 2020. They pretty much, it's interesting, the, 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 dis- the disclosure really goes out of its way to call out like nothing's going on, there's nothing questionable, it's a peaceful exit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's an interesting thing about the new replacement that's coming in and how they, 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 uh, they've offer, they offer a letter to the new replacement has an annual base salary of $350,000 and a sign-on bonus of 40000 So what's uh, crazy about that? So, so I, I do want to bring in that number up is because I think later on in the article, we're going to talk about, there were some stats about how much partners at accounting firms make. Well, let's talk about that. How much do partners at accounting firms make? Before we jump to that really quickly, I just make a quick, uh, one more last app piece of app news before okay, we jump sure, out sure. of app news. So Plaid, who, you know, basically builds bank feeds, right? And yep. almost all the apps you're using, a lot of them are using Plaid under the covers. So Plaid about a year ago, started working directly with the banks to offer the banks a service where, hey, we can help you build out your bank APIs. And they call that Plaid Exchange. And so now what they're doing is if you now use Plaid Exchange, you can actually offer your customers instant account activity. So if your bank, Blake's Bank, mm-hmm. uses Plaid's Exchange service to build out your APIs, my bank feed's going to be instantaneous now. So I don't have to wait until close of day for my feeds to update the next day. It's just instantly that's really cool yes. I mean, i'm assuming they push it on the bank feed or but, but basically it's, it is available within seconds the user's activity so you can, you can just be sitting there reconciling those accounts all day long just have quickbooks open as soon as a transaction comes in just code that thing refresh 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 for quickbooks i don't think uses plaid quickbooks has their own proprietary uh, i think zero uses plaid now right so uh, that's a good sign for them that's nice Okay, so can we talk about partner compensation? Yeah, let's jump into that. Let's jump over. It's a really big number. And for people who don't know how much accounting firm partners make, it's kind of shocking. So the average equity of a partner at a top 100 accounting firm is $682,000 a year. You mean the average salary of an equity partner is $682,000 a year? Yes. And that doesn't include the big four. That is insane. I mean, that's a lot of money. And I think I saw an article from Gene Marks. Was it in Accounting Today? With this number in it? Is that how we came yes, across it? Yes, it was in, yep. And there was a study that came out from Inside Public Accounting uh, earlier in the month. Got it. Oh, and to be uh, clear, this is the top 100 firms excluding the big four. Do you want to talk about the G. Marks article? Well, yeah. So, so there's an article and I, the headline was very eye-catching, right? Uh, how your firm is missing a $682,000 opportunity. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like maybe there'll be some like, oh, uh, you should offer this service. You're like there's some service you should be offering. Mm-hmm. And so I really read the article and there's a couple stats are in it because he compares this survey and this survey from ADP. So ADP had a 2019 uh, survey about the state of the workforce, right? And there's the turnover in a typical business is about 3.2%. It's not huge amount of turnover. But, uh, and, and really in this grand survey from ADP, only 20% of firms had 4% or higher. But the top 100 accounting firms, one in six of them are averaging more than 20% turnover. And the average turnover is 16% in those firms. So we have average partner compensation at top 100 firms, equity partner, I should say, 682000 So the bosses are making $682,000 and the staff are turning over at 16%. And you said that 
in the US, a typical company is 3.2%. So that's terrible turnover compared to a typical business. So what is Gene saying that we should be learning about this number then? This is what I, the part of the article I don't get. He talks about how, you know, in general, I feel like, you know, accountants, they, they don't want to say how much they make, right? They're, the partners, I guess, are embarrassed of how much they make. Right. So they keep that, they keep that to themselves, right? They don't advertise like that they're rolling in dough is what he's saying. Yeah. They don't advertise the number, but I, my observation though is actually weird. And maybe we could, this is a side conversation relation to, related to this is I don't understand, like when I worked at Intuit, I never said David Leary Intuit shareholder, mm-hmm. but how come employees of the big accounting firms put like their name and then say shareholder? Uh, or, or, or equity partner or partner or... Yeah, yeah. instead of just saying like, I have this position at this this firm. Well, it's, it's almost like they want to know, they want to tell you they make $680,000 a year, but they don't want to actually tell you that. <laughs> well, it, that is possibly it. And the other part is that there's a class difference between the equity partners and the partners and all the staff. Like it's a total, you're, you know, you're either in the club or you're not. And everybody wants to, you know get into that club, at least once they, when they first get to the firm, right? They're bought into the idea of, you know, probably getting to partner someday. At least a lot of people are. And you know that you can make a lot of money uh, if you become partner. But I guess Gene's point here is that because accountants don't talk about it, the partners don't advertise, you know, how much they make, that they're losing out in that staff are turning over. And if they talked more about partner compensation and the benefits of becoming partner, then staff would stick around and they wouldn't leave and they would try to become partner. That's, that's what I'm getting out of this. Right. But all right. So the argument is because people don't know they could make $600,000 a year at an accounting firm, they just quit and just go get a different job somewhere else. Because it's hard, right? So they become like, less. they have to go to work at zoom for $300,000 a year. Yeah. They get less motivated or something, but maybe they would stick it out. But I kind of take a different approach to looking at this. And I see that number and then I know how much the staff and managers make and the senior managers don't even make, you know, close to that number. And I think to myself, well, maybe it's not that 16% of staff are turning over every year because they don't know that if they stuck around, they would make all this money if they became partner. Maybe it's because they, they know that and they're annoyed that the partners make that much money and they don't want to stick around. What I'm trying to say is that if the partners shared the wealth more, maybe people would stay around and they wouldn't leave. <laughs> like if you pay people more, then are they going to leave? I think your money motivates people, right? If partners are sticking around to become partner or future partners are sticking around to become partner to make more money, if you just paid your managers and senior managers and staff all more, then maybe they would stick around too. So you know, I mean, this is how the uh, big firms work is they're giant pyramid schemes, right? You convince people to join and you work them to the bone. 60- episode title. You said it. <laughs> it 60 Top to- accounting firms are pyramid schemes. That's the episode title. And you no. know what? If, Here's the voicemail number. Call us up. It fits with the marketing message about creating controversy, right? Engagement through controversy. And I'm sort of saying this tongue in cheek, but I'm, I'm a bit serious about it too, because how, how does it you know, maybe it's not, it's not a literal pyramid scheme, but it has some resemblance to a pyramid scheme in that it is recruit people at the bottom, get them bought in to this vision of someday becoming partner and moving up and create this, you know, whole like annual promotion schedule. So they're always competing to get to the next level and then work them really, really hard and pay them not super great. So that way the profits flow up to the partners, the smallest group at the top. And uh, you just keep people hanging on for years and years and years, hoping that they're going to make it. And eventually they realize they're not going to make it. It's a ridiculously small number of people you know, that uh, become partner ever, right? Everybody so, else. So you're rolling the dice here as a gamble. You're like, am I going to be able to become partner before I burn out? Or yeah. I'm a young person. And, and he's kind of saying this here. He's like, you know, they should be telling people about the long-term financial rewards as long as they commit to being a, an accounting profession and keep their professionals and, and good for you. Let's work hard. So that's really, that's the gamble. Like there is a pot of gold at the end if you don't burn out first. Right. And of course, when you're young and you know, you have this attitude that you're the best, you know, you're confident, you make that deal. You're saying, oh yeah, I have what it takes to make it. And then of course, you know, life goes on. Maybe you have some kids that slows you down a bit. Um, you know, you decide this is not for me and yet you've dedicated a bunch of your life to generating a lot of profits for the partners and you never 
saw any of that yourself. I'm not saying it's all bad, right? Like you got a ton of amazing experience, you learned a lot and everything, but you definitely didn't like benefit financially <laughs> the way that the partners do. So, and I think that is gradually changing because uh, it's becoming more obvious, I think, with transparency that you get from the internet. Like if, if you're a accounting student and you just want to like know what it's like to work at the big four, you can just go on Reddit and like learn all about PwC and Deloitte and KPMG from all the totally like disengaged employees there who spend all their time on Reddit. And you can see it's not exactly uh, what the recruiters are promising you. But, um, you know, tell me I'm wrong. I'd actually love if somebody is listening to this and, and disagrees, you know, you can call our number, you can leave a review and tell us what you think. And if you agree with me, if you are one of those people who had this experience, uh, let us know as well. Well, well so let's do So how many years does it usually take to become a partner at a top 100 firm? Would you would you guess? Gosh, I don't know, like twenty years or something. All right, so maybe you know, like where's a pot? We'll do the podcast for twenty years, and I prom- there's a pot of gold at the end here. <laughs> like, you, like one day, you will get a six hundred thousand dollar year salary from the podcast in twenty years, based on our current growth rates. You know, we're going to do that much much sooner, David. You know, I'm looking forward to the Cloud Accounting Podcast yacht, right? <laughs> yacht. Uh, and we got to figure out a way to get a tax deduction for having a boat. That's for sure. Um, one of these days. So. Where do we go from here, David? What else do you want to talk about in the time that we have left? I've got a story about the spreadsheet error. So I, yeah, I don't want to skip that. Talk about that. Because like, I, I really love the spreadsheet stories that we always have. Okay. So there was this hospital in Edinburgh that was supposed to open. Very expensive hospital. Like, I don't know. I want to say close to half a, a billion euros or something. The hospital opened up and then they immediately had to... Um, at least not use part of it because the critical care rooms did not have the required uh, features by law. They are required to have 10 air changes per hour. Uh, as we all know now, due to the coronavirus, it's important that you aren't um, breathing recycled air when you're trying to control infections. So the critical care rooms are supposed to have 10 air changes per hour. Well, the ventilation systems that were built only did four air changes per hour. The error was traced by Grant Thornton auditors back to a 2012 spreadsheet. So this is eight years ago now. Quote, this looks to be, based on our review, human error in copying across the four bedded room generic ventilation criteria into the critical care room detail, which I will translate from auditor speak means somebody accidentally copy and pasted from the wrong column into the wrong column. They had the number four in there. Instead of 10, everybody missed it all the way through the whole bidding process. You know, that's that's the danger of spreadsheets there. I, speechless. A mistake in a spreadsheet was in 2012, and it probably would have never been a big deal. But then COVID came, and all of a sudden, it was a big deal. I guess so. Yeah, I'm wondering actually how much of an impact COVID had on it. All it takes is one person to do that copy-paste in some like sheet that's way at the end of the, the workbook that nobody ever looked at. So that's my spreadsheet air story. What else should we talk about here? Fed now. We could talk about that. Fed now? Uh, if you want. Fed now. Yeah. So I, we kind of missed this story. It was actually like uh, first week of August. So the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, the Federal Reserve Board, they pr- uh, proposed a development of a real-time settlement service, RTGS. And basically the, the public name is going to be called Fed now. Mm-hmm. So it's instant, it's instant money movement. Faster payments, you know, instant payments, instant movement of money. So they built their own system, and essentially, everybody knows about the clearinghouse, right? For ACH, and you know the the delays in that, and how it's not real time. And then the private sector banks got together and they actually built their own RTP, real time payments network. But they really cut out the small banks, the credit unions, retailers, technology companies. They all just were not big fans of this. They all got cut out. What they've done is they've released a fifty page um, press release about this. The timeline really originally on this was going to be, it started in 2013. They started launching the strategies to build this out. Um, and then they really committed to building it out in 2019, right? They were actually going to go through and, and really build this, right? And they were looking for comment. But then they really thought they'd get it out 23, 24, 2024. You know, they'd start to really round it out and polish it off. But what's happening is because of the stimulus now, an earlier rollout might happen because of stimulus. And it really ties this couple of stories we had together uh, in the past, right? Because a lot of people didn't get their stimulus checks. And we've right, talked right, about yeah. before, they saw instant impacts to the economy once the checks started getting into people's hands and getting into the 
their bank accounts, right? Or they cash those checks, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's all these people that are unbanked, right? People that didn't get the checks, the IRS didn't have their addresses, right? There's all these reasons, right? The money didn't get to people fast enough. And it turns out like they, what they want to do is basically utilize the post office now. So then now the post office story is getting tied in this <laughs> and the unbanked is being tied in to where you like the unbanked will just go to the post office and get some sort of debit card. And the Fed will put money directly into people's bank debit card accounts. So they're, you're basically it's, it's a bank of the Fed and they're bypassing the normal banks and the, they're bypassing all the, what is it? Nine regional Feds, right? Wow. Wait, so that's big news if that's what's happening because I had heard about this instant payment system coming someday way down the road, right? So that we can replace ACH and actually have instant transfers like they do in Europe. We had speculated about how it would be beneficial for the Fed to have a bank account for every American. And that way they could just, you know, put the stimulus money into it. Are you saying that this is now like happening? I'm tying a couple articles here together, right? But I would not be surprised as we see this next round of stimulus becoming more real. Yeah. That this becomes a distribution method that is required, right? Um, even uh, Senator uh, Kamala Harris, right? So she, or Vice President nominee now, I guess we have yeah, to say, yeah. right? So she actually, there's this is a, a branch off of Obamacare rollout. So the US Digital Service, which was uh, set up to help fix the healthcare.gov website, like a teeny little agency, she wants to expand their budget by 400% because this all ties to modernizing Medicare payments. So it's all tied to this treasury direct accounts, these digital wallets. Well, it would make so much sense for treasury to have a way to directly give stimulus to Americans and not have to go through the banking system because we saw that they had to pay the banks a pretty hefty chunk just to process those PPP loans. And then they had to cut checks via the IRS, which costs a lot of money and is super slow and doesn't get to everybody. Like if they could just have an account at the, at the fed for every American that, you know, is tied to your social or something like that, then uh, they could just give you the money directly. And like you said, if you don't have a bank account, to link it to, you could just go to the post office and and get a debit card that way or something. That's brilliant. But I could see there being like a ton of opposition to this from the banking industry. Yeah. And then it goes back to also, we were talking about that monetary, uh, modern monetary theory, right? And like, if you think about it, now the feds can just inject money in the uh, economy instantly. Right. And then pull yeah. back. Right? right. And then you think about it now that it's all digital, instead of it being tracked to just a penny, they could go out as many decimal places as they want. And this is where you can start getting to negative interest rates, right? You could have very small negative interest rates and you'd only be losing a couple of pennies a day or less than pennies a day, right? Oh, but it would force people or incentivize people to go out and spend the money. Exactly. So this is all connected um, to this instant payment. And so, so basically this, what was built to just move money around is now getting tied into like the stimulus package, mm-hmm. possible um, UBI, which we've talked about. It's really taught, like, you really see all these stories coming together into this federal wallet, if you want to yeah. call it that. Well, this is going to make libertarians scream, but I, I think it's a really good idea. Like, if we're going to have stimulus like we just had, we need to be able to do it more efficiently and get the money out quicker. And, and this would be a way to do it and to track it, right? To see where it's being spent would be interesting too. I don't know if the uh, Fed has a plan to track that, but they could. It's just also scary at the same time, right? We look at all this technology, right? And like, yeah, yeah, how, yeah. how much we're giving up our lives. Like, like okay, you you have your locks connected to the internet, right? Um, yep, actually, yep. somebody here, and I don't know if this happened to you, but I've heard people in Tucson because the rolling blackouts in California and all this stuff, all those Nest thermostats were adjusting people's air conditionings in Arizona up to like 86 degrees because they wanted to conserve some electricity, but you can't have your house at 86 degrees when it's 110 out. It just doesn't work. They had it in the automatic setting where it just like does it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so essentially the government, if they wanted to, right, you got your smart lock, you got your smart car, you got your smart bank account that the government control. They just in their your smart thermostat. They could just lock you in your house and take your money away and just <laughs> stuck in the house, right? Like I know it's a little tinfoil hat, but like, are we giving up yeah, rights well, when we the more dependent we get on all this technology stack like this? Well, that, and that's what we have to balance, right? We have to balance technology with uh, freedom and liberty, and it's a real challenge. And disinformation is a consequence that nobody ever anticipated, like in the way that it's become a problem where, you know, to go back to Facebook, they're going to not even accept new ads a week before the presidential election, 
because they're so concerned uh, about disinformation, apparently. Well, we keep getting into this because every time we, because obviously every time we talk about PPP and that's on our artwork and we run an ad on Facebook, like we keep getting into the list of like, oh, I know, Russian hacker advertising or something. Like we constantly have to play this game with them. Yeah, we had to like verify our identities in order to have political ads, and apparently the PPP is so controversial that it's you know falls under that. I've got more I could talk about, but that's all that we've got time for this week. We have one more voicemail, though, we should play. Yeah, we have a voicemail to take us out. And again, if you want to call us, I'll read that number one more time, 202-695-1040. If people want to reach you online, David, where's the best place for them to do that? The best place is on Twitter, but I'm also on LinkedIn. And I know previously I've told people, say that you like the show. So I know you're not a robot, but Blake, I saw you tweeted this great solution to how do you can figure out if it's a robot on LinkedIn or not. It was one of our listeners. I think it was DJ. He he tagged me in something on social. And I can't find it now because I don't remember where it was. It was somebody saying that if you put an emoji in front of your first name or just as part of your first name on LinkedIn, that it will then identify all of the spammers to you because they're just taking your first name off your profile and then sending you a message. So then you can just look for that emoji and you know, oh, they clearly didn't type this themselves. And it worked. I caught somebody. Because I'm never going to I'm never going to type beer mug Blake when I go to talk to somebody on LinkedIn. No, that was the example. Was somebody put a beer mug in front of their name? I put an abacus in front of my name. I went and put a blue check mark. So so hey, I'm one of those blue check mark people now. <laughs> I got the blue check mark. <laughs> so this is going to be we'll be able to report back on this in a week cuz I get literally 50 a, day, a week. So it'll be it should be very clear. I'll do a screenshot of my LinkedIn uh inbox. I love it. Well, if you want to reach me online, I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And again, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Just uh, be sure to let me know you're a listener of the show so I know you're not a bot. Uh, and here to take us out is our final final listener message. Hey, Blake and Dave. This is Omolara. I'm calling in from Mexico. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year and I really love it. That's why I'm always posting those reviews on LinkedIn. Because I love your podcast, it's super relevant, and it's funny, which I don't think you can use those two things when describing accounting ever. So that's why I am going to be a lifelong listener. As long as I'm in the field of accounting, I will be listening to your podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, guys. Time for the classifieds. Still sending spreadsheets of unclassified expenses to clients? With Client Hub, automate this process and get client answers instantly. Client Hub is a client communication platform that helps you consolidate client communication, securely share files, and instantly get answers and much, much more. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app and enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. Client Hub, frictionless client communication. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.